Hey guys, and welcome back to EcoWarm, the podcast where we break down the major factors affecting the environment and explore what we can do to help. I'm your host, Imani, and today I'll be talking to Mick Darwinbull, which is USC's very own Chief Sustainability Officer. Really excited about this episode because it's a bit of a throwback. Seems like just yesterday we recorded our first episode with USC about their 2020 sustainability plan. And now we're back to learn about Assignment Earth, USC's sustainability framework for a greener campus and planet. This episode is going to break down some common phrases you might have heard, like carbon neutrality and zero waste, what they mean, and how USC is aiming to achieve them. And for you guys, you can learn about how to get involved on campus and all the things that the Office of Sustainability has to offer. So really excited to jump into this episode with Mick. Thank you, Mick, for coming on. I'm very excited to talk about USC sustainability, what they're doing, and this new Assignment Earth campaign you guys have going on. So before we get into that, I want you to, if we could introduce yourself. And then also I'm curious, like, what made you interested in sustainability and how did you end up as Chief Sustainability Officer? Sure. All right. Well, thanks for having me. I'm Mick Dowerball. I'm the Chief Sustainability Officer for University of Southern California. And getting interested in sustainability is probably a really long story, but I'd say a couple of key things were I was raised um, near a um, uh, creek uh, right near our house. So I spent a lot of time outdoors down you know, this creek and climbing up into the canyon that fed the creek. And then I think, you know, my first stuff started in college where I was like, well, you know, this whole thing doesn't seem to add up. <laughs> Seems like we're going to run out of resources on earth at some point and had a long, actually, a discussion, it was an argument with my, my a girl I was dating at the time um, about that because she was an economics person and she was like, oh, you don't, you don't think that we can like become more efficient with resources? And I'm like, yeah, but you know, annual economic growth, compound annual growth is an exponential function. So eventually that's a vertical climb. How are you going to do that? So anyway, we never resolved it um, ourselves, but um, uh, and then later I was in the film industry. And so I got exposed to a lot of stuff in the film industry shooting on location and sort of the same thing. It just seemed like the way that we ran our economy did not line up with the way that nature works and, you know, nature wins in the end. So it seems like we have to shape our system to the way the planet and nature works, not the other way around. So anyway, that's, that's what got me interested in it. No, that's like... Honestly, a very, not maybe without the debate with the significant other, but in college, <laughs> I had a similar realization where as a business major too, where I was like, this doesn't seem like this is going to be able to continue. So I definitely relate to that. So now being in this role as Chief Sustainability Officer, what exactly does that mean? And how have you, I guess, applied what you've learned in college to your job now? Sure. Yeah. And actually, when I went to college, there was no such thing as a sustainability major. And I don't even remember the word ever being used. So this is something that kind of developed over time. And around 2001 is when I really dove into it uh, big time. And so the chief sustainability officer, my job is to actually help help consult and help motivate and navigate um, and get the USC community together and rallied around our sustainability goals. Um, so a lot of it is about facilitating communications between stakeholders. And so you're like, okay, well, you know, if we want to try and reduce our emissions due to commuting, 
who needs to be involved in that conversation and how do you go about doing it? So there's a whole bunch of different tools we use. Um, and the main thing is, you know, talking to people to uh, find out what do they do and why do they do it? Um, and then working with the various tools and it could be resources, it could be infrastructure, it could be uh, financial incentives, it could be behavioral messaging, it could be policies and procedures. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of different things that that we can use. And a lot of times you use more than one of those, of course, to, to try to come up with a solution and then deploy that solution and get people to adopt it. So um, it's, it's a lot of project-based work um, where we don't necessarily oversee certain functions within the university. We basically go help get different functions together to try and solve an issue and then and then get that adopted and, and get that scaled up uh, across the entire you know, USC community. Yeah, I'm sure that this process played a huge role in the assignment earth uh, goal you have going on with USC. So I'm a little curious and just for our audience, what exactly is assignment earth and how did it come about? Sure. Assignment Earth is our 2028 framework. So it's basically what's going to guide all of our efforts between now and the Olympics in 2028. And that's why 2028 was chosen. It just made a really nice, um, you know, 16, six year time frame and um, which strategic plans are usually, you know, like a five year time frame. But we just thought that it would make a really highly visible, tangible goal that people can relate to. Okay, 2028, Olympics are coming. We got to have our act together, right? So it's the framework to guide all of our sustainability efforts. And it's not just operations. So operations is usually waste, energy, and water, that sort of stuff. Um, but this is also involves academics and it involves research, involves engagement, and it involves inclusion um, across the whole spectrum of activities. And so um, it came about from the president's working group on sustainability. So I guess backing up a little bit, the president came in 2019. She made it clear that sustainability was one of her top priorities from the day that she arrived. Um, eventually formed a president's working group that includes faculty and staff and students from across the university, and then basically charged that group with coming up with a plan. And then part of that process was creating my position and hiring my position. Um, and then we took a lot of the ideas and initiatives that the president's working group had come up with, and we kind of turned it into an operational framework with budgets and specific goals and targets and target dates and all of that, um, so that we could make something really concrete and stick to it uh, to, to reach those, you know, overall aspirations for sustainability. Awesome. I am curious, too, because you mentioned going back in time. Uh, funny you said that. Our first episode was actually with USC Sustainability back when, like, this position I don't even think existed yet. <laughs> and they had the old sustainability framework. And so I'm curious, what changes were the most like fundamental between that old existing framework and then coming in and creating this assignment earth? Well, the most significant change was that the original framework was about operations only. And the, the president made it clear that she wanted to go way beyond that. This is about how are we going to change the way we educate students and how are we going to change the way that we conduct research and what we research at USC. So that, that's probably the biggest change. Um, and then otherwise, um, 
the I would say that the climate goal became from an operation standpoint, the climate goal became much more aggressive. Um, so uh, so we're, we're pushing it a lot faster on climate because, you know, the scientists, every time they come out with a new report, it's like, oh, we have less time than we thought. So uh, so we really kind of ramped that that side up. Gotcha. OK, that's really interesting. So for the research component, what exactly does that entail or do you have any specific research projects that you're particularly excited about? Sure, the, the research side, so sustainability research, probably the, the biggest characteristics of it are is interdisciplinary. So sustainability is about systems thinking. It's realizing that things don't work in isolation, that everything is connected. And so sustainability research tends to be highly interdisciplinary where you're getting things like social scientists together with doctors, together with climate scientists and stuff like that to try and tackle a project um, or, or a research project from all, all sides. So um, that's, that's one of the key aspects. Another key aspect of sustainability research is it's very much focused on solutions. So not all, like some of it is still basic research, like, okay, let's figure out how plants turn sunlight into energy. Okay, that might be a fundamental research thing. But how do you get rid of food deserts um, is a very, one, it's very applied, uh, but two, it's very solutions focused. So it's very much about user inspired research. So what do the stakeholders need? What are the highest priority things, solutions that the stakeholders need? And then let's figure out a solution to that. Let's apply it. And then let's figure out um, what works and what doesn't work. And then we'll tweak it. So those are two um, characteristics. And I guess there's a, there's a few things that I'm super excited about at USC. Um, one is uh, when I came here, I found out that USC actually has developed three different techniques for taking CO2 out of the atmosphere, which is phenomenal. It's something that we really need because we've overshot how much CO2 we can put in the atmosphere. So not only do we need to reduce and eliminate us putting CO2 in the atmosphere, but we need to start taking it out as well. So that was really exciting. Um, and there are three completely different research teams and the techniques that they use and the applications they use are very different. Um, secondly, I'm very excited by kind of what's being called the human factors um, side, where USC is very, very strong in the people aspect of everything, right? Uh, everything from communications to the arts, to the media, to filmmaking, to psychology, uh, to policy making and all that stuff. USC is really, really well known and strong for that. So I think that's an area where USC can really stand out and already does, but just maybe doesn't communicate it so well, doesn't have that reputation yet of using all those skills to address sustainability because it's the biggest challenge we have in sustainability. We know what the solutions are. It's getting people to adopt them at a policy level and then also at individual level. That's our biggest challenge from a global standpoint. So that's something where USC can really shine. And then the third part that I'm really excited about is our strength in global health and equity. Um, so we have a fantastic medical enterprise. They do fantastic research, uh, but they also do like population level research and they do a tremendous amount with social equity and health equity. 
Um, and so a lot of that is tied to climate. You know, climate's going to make those inequalities stand out more. It's going to have more severe impacts on certain populations rather than evenly across all populations. And so the fact that we're really strong in that uh, healthy quality um, area already, and we also do a lot of stuff in climate research from a medical standpoint, so we're churning out some really, really useful, very practical um, knowledge uh, on that side that, that can be used to help that uh, situation and reduce those inequalities. No, it's funny you said that because like my next question was about like addressing the inequalities in climate and how this plan incorporates that. So I think you answered that really well. I do want to move on also to some of the educational opportunities that the plan has. I think I'm currently taking, I think, two of the classes that are included in that, or at least I haven't seen them before, which is my uh, sustainable finance and my sustainable reporting class. But are there any other educational opportunities that you're excited about and then that students can get involved with? Sure. The, the main one right now is, is really the development of those classes or the modification of existing classes. So there's an initiative called the Sustainability Across the Curriculum Initiative or SACI. And it's basically a series of workshops and other uh, resources to help professors incorporate sustainability into existing classes or develop entirely new classes uh, with sustainability as a theme. So that is also expanding to include the development of new minors and new majors related to sustainability. So I'm really, so you must be in the business school. Yeah, so it's great to hear that. You know, business is going to drive a lot of this change, and so to be able to hear that there are more sustainability offerings within the business school is tremendous. But particularly, you talked about reporting, so I imagine this is like GRI reporting and ESG stuff. Yeah, so I mean, I forgot it was about a year ago that one of the big consulting firms says that said that they were going to hire. I think it's Price Waterhouse Coopers that they were gonna hire 100,000 ESG and artificial intelligence consultants. And so I just thought, man, that, that if that's not a signal to the business schools across the country that they need to be training uh, their students in, in sustainability reporting and even like carbon accounting and things like that, um, uh, then or renewable energy finance, that, that there's so many opportunities there. And so really what this assignment Earth is about is, how do we incorporate that stuff across the university? So instead of like creating a school of sustainability, we want to infuse sustainability into everybody's field because it touches everybody. Yeah, no, definitely. I think every job can be incorporated into sustainability somehow. And I think separating it almost makes it seem like it's a different solution instead of a part of what everyone should be working towards collectively. So I can't agree with that more. Uh, I think this episode will be out before the registration ad drop deadline is, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, for our listeners, check your special topics folders because that's where. <laughs> <laughs> the way I think about it is, you know, quite a while ago in developing countries, kind of decisions were made to completely skip over landline phones and just go to wireless. 
Um, it was so much cheaper to put out the infrastructure for that. So why, why do landlines when you could just do wireless? So USC is kind of taking the same approach with sustainability as we want to get to the next generation where, just like you said, instead of being something separate, it's just integrated into everything because ultimately that's, uh, you know, that's how it all needs to happen in order to get sustainability infused throughout society. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I guess moving towards, so less of the more educational aspect, there is still that operational aspect of this, right? And USC wants to reach things such as like carbon neutrality and zero waste, but I feel like people hear these terms a lot and they don't really understand what they mean. So I guess to start off, could you just explain what both of these terms mean? And then in the context of assignment earth, like what would USC look like if they were to achieve these things? Sure, okay. Um, so climate neutrality is basically you are removing or offsetting as much CO2 or what we call CO2 equivalent. So as much global greenhouse gases as you are emitting. So you're just neutral on an annual basis. There's another term called net zero, which is basically, I mean, there's still, there's, there's a little bit of debate, different organizations define these things a little bit differently. But think of debt zero as you've reduced your emissions all the way down to just pretty much insignificant stuff that you can't get rid of anymore. And then you offset the remainder of that. Zero waste is technically defined as 90% of your waste gets diverted from the landfill into either recycling or composting. Um, and, and there's another term called aversion, which basically means that you just never bring it onto campus in the first place, right? You avert it. So you, you let's say you buy things in bulk packaging rather than, you know, individual packaging. And so you're, you're averting all that individual packaging going into the landfill or going into the waste stream any, anywhere. So, um, so that's zero waste. It's not really zero. It's 90% reduction. And then basically figuring there's probably 10% of stuff that you're never going to be able to recycle for some reason or another. And then our other goal is a 20% reduction in water uh, based upon our 2014 um, baseline. And so that one is uh, becoming increasingly important, but it's also not so easy to do because, you know, a lot of your water goes to outdoor landscaping. And some people would look at USC and say, well, it's like this giant Disneyland. It's a park. It's beautiful. Do we really need to have all of that? Well, the, the reality is like from a grass standpoint, um, lawns take a lot of water, but USC uses almost every inch of that, <laughs> of that lawn. There's always some event happening, you know, on, on, on our lawns. So there's a few areas where we've identified that we can get rid of grass uh, which will reduce water usage, but we have to keep the trees alive because we really want the trees for shade and to cool the city. So that's where the majority of your opportunity is, is like in exterior water usage, but but USC uses that for, for really beneficial purposes. And then, and then the rest of it's like individual stuff, say, you know, convincing students to take five minute or shorter showers in the dorms and reducing leaks. Uh, so leak detection. So we've got water meters going in all over campus. And one of the benefits of having water meters, not, not just to find out which buildings use the most water, but it's to identify when there's a leak so you can stop it before a bunch of water is wasted. So those are the types of things that, that we can do in that area. I'm also interested too, as a business major, obviously finances are very important, 
I'm wondering if there's anything in the plan that has to do with how USC is allocating its money, whether it be in its uh, endowment or how it's financing the actual sustainability plan assignment or the framework itself doesn't really go into budgets. So the, the endowment, there was a separate initiative that students really pushed to get the endowment to freeze fossil fuel investments and divest. Um, that happened before I arrived. And I this fall, the investments office is going to kind of give an update on how that's going. And so we didn't include that because it was kind of a an effort that already, you know, the uh marker was put in the sand and said, we're, okay, we're going to do this. And the board of trustees already approved that and everything. So it didn't, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to make any new goals in the plan about that. And then as far as financing, you know, all of these goals are going to require initiatives and then a, a decent amount of those initiatives are going to require investment. And it could be really small amounts of money, or if it has to do with university infrastructure, it could be really large dollars. Right. So, um, so, that um so so that's going to be like the kind of annual ongoing debate is how much stuff can we finance this year to implement to keep us on track for our goals or or get to our goals faster um and um and i think you know there's a lot of a lot of stuff in sustainability um, there are a number of things that are kind of like it's just more expensive it's because you're you're it's a better way of doing something. So you're going to invest more money. In it. And then there's other things that pay themselves off, right? So energy efficiency is usually one of the lowest hanging fruits because it tends to pay itself off pretty quick. So you can make those investments and get your money back and then invest it in something else. You know, so a lot of times we go through an annual budgeting process, a capital budgeting process and an operating budget process. And those types of calculations go into these um, discussions uh, every year, you know, what what can we do? How much is it going to cost? How much are we going to how, how fast are we going to make our money back on it if we do make our money back on it so that we can then invest in the next thing? So um, the plan itself or the framework itself is what are the overall goals and what are the major initiatives that we think are going to work to get there? And then the budgeting is a separate conversation for how, how do we make something financially viable? Okay. That makes a that makes a lot of sense. So it's kind of more of like a framework that we use each year to kind of determine how we're going to add budget capital towards it. Yeah. How far are we progressing? Okay. Well, which initiatives have the biggest bang for the buck to get us to the goals? And okay, which one of those can we do this year? Plus also we have to think about third-party financing as well. You know, some stuff we can third-party finance, some things we either wouldn't want to or we can't because you know, a, a government entity says we can't do it or something like that. Uh, and then there's also things that, you know, especially on the education and the research side, maybe we can either get federal grants for or we can get philanthropists to donate for. So we're always looking at all the different potential funding sources for getting something done. And and as you know, the Inflation Reduction Act was just recently passed, and that's going to provide a lot of resources to move stuff forward relative to electric vehicle transportation, um, renewable energy, energy efficiency, health and equity. And a lot of the stuff with the Inflation Reduction Act, there's carve-outs or I don't know if they're carve-outs, but there's like minimum amounts to be spent on um, parts of the city or parts, parts of the United States, essentially, that are maybe unnecessarily burdened with, um, you know, 
inequalities relative to sustainability or health impacts. And so there's there's a focus there for that as well. So it's um, so it'll take a, a while for all of that to propagate through the federal agencies, and we learn what the rules are, and then they set up application processes and stuff. But we're going to be all over that as well to try to get whatever money we can to uh, in order to speed everything up. Yeah. Oh, and also you mentioned a bit about the kind of social inequity aspect of it, and making sure that these sustainability plans keep that in mind. So we talked a little bit more about how that applies to like USC, but in terms of the broader community, are there any, I guess, things in the plan that we're keeping the broader community around USC in mind in the plans? Yeah, our university relations um, department is really, that's their main focus and as part of the plan is, how do we promote diverse businesses? So how do we promote USC buying more from small, diverse local businesses um, and increase that percentage of our spend? Because any, any money that you keep in the local economy is going to be better off for the community as a whole. Because it gets the more times you circulate the, the money in the local economy, the better off everybody is in the local environment. And so, um, so there's some. Uh, it, it, there, there aren't specific targets in there, but but that, that's part of the plan is to try to increase the diversity of our supplier base. Um, and there's actually a really great uh, website that University Relations and the LA Business Council, um, and I believe it was. Um, the uh, public policy school that put this thing together. It was like a five-year project that they've been working on. They launched it um, a couple months ago to specifically promote small and diverse businesses for anything to do with the Olympics. So Olympics procurement, but then also events and construction projects in LA in general. So they have a huge database of suppliers in there and they're encouraging you know, event organizers the Olympics folks, anybody doing construction to tap into that supplier base in order to get their projects done. Very, very cool. So as we wrap up, I'm just thinking ahead. We're at the 2028 Olympics. We've made it. What would be the next step for Assignment Earth if we had like an Assignment Earth 2.0? What might that look like in the future? Wow. You know, I haven't really thought about that because there's so much work to do between now and 2028. Um, so, you know, I'm not quite sure. I guess in my dream world, one is we'd be doing all of this in electric buses as we're going around the Olympics. You and I are talking about this while we're riding an electric bus, you know, going to an Olympic venue for a track event. So um, while we're sitting there talking, I guess I would... I would maybe try to put the focus on regenerative uh, design and regenerative economy. So I, I don't think that it's sufficient to just set a target of let's be less bad, right? I mean, how many people can get excited about, oh, I want to be zero, right? Ah, I want to be neutral. Yeah, neutrality. You know, we have we have overshot, um, you know, as a human race as to what the carrying capacity of the planet is. And there's also just huge opportunity in thinking about, you know, going way beyond the barrier of how do I become less bad, 
but how can I actually help regenerate our society, regenerate our ecosystems, regenerate different species, regenerate our economy? And if you really look at nature, nature is about regeneration. So if we can if we can look to nature and tap into nature and align what we're doing so that we're not trying to conquer nature, but we're actually trying to kind of ride the wave with nature, um, we can actually really accelerate the healing process and, and bring the planet back into a, a better future. So I would say that would be my dream goal is to, to set new goals about regeneration. Yeah, that's a really funny point how we're all striving for zero. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. But yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And yeah, I think the concept of regeneration is really strong there. And I think what everyone should be striving for instead of, you know, netting. <laughs> but obviously, we got to get there first. And that's going to take a tremendous amount of work. So I definitely get why those are... Yeah. And I think biomimicry is like the field that I think is going to be the key for this. So biomimicry is about tapping into nature's 3.8 billion years of R&D experience. And like, okay, whenever you got a problem, look at how nature solved that problem and then see if you can model a solution based upon that. So everything from... You know, Velcro was invented because a guy was so tired of picking burrs out of his dog's fur. And he's like, ah, how do these things get so well attached? And and that led to the development of Velcro. And, you know, there's other examples of getting rid of formaldehyde in wood products by using soybean oil to develop um, an adhesive that mimics the way that mollusks attach themselves to rocks uh, at the ocean shore, you know, and they, they're so strong, they don't get washed off in all these crashing waves. So just looking at those things like a, a whale's fin is so aerodynamic. Okay, let's redesign our wind turbines to be like whale fins and become much more efficient in the process. So I think, so biomimicry is really about tapping into that 3.8 billion years of evolution. And I think that if we do that, we can we can really kind of accelerate our, our results um, and, and really get to that regeneration stage. Yeah, I think it's really about just like humbling ourselves as humans a little bit and thinking, okay, they have this all this history. We've only been here a little bit of time. You right. know, maybe we don't know everything. Yeah. <laughs> we, have bit, we have a bit to learn from nature. All right. So before we wrap up today, I'm sure our listeners are curious about how exactly students can get involved. So we talked a little bit about research, about a couple of classes, but if there's anything else or even just how to get in contact with the USC Sustainability Office. Any information? Sure. So um, it's funny because I just got an email from a transfer student coming in asking that same question. So if you go to green.usc.edu, that's the Office of Sustainability site, there are two tabs there. One of them is Get Involved, and then the other one is Students. And probably the best one to start with is Students. Uh, but in there, it lists like about eight different categories of things that you can do uh, to, to get further involved, everything from joining one of the many, many uh, sustainability-oriented clubs at USC to applying to be a presidential sustainability internship, uh, intern uh, from the internship program to uh, just, you know, taking action uh, as an individual and, you know, everything from, you know, uh, alternative modes of transportation to 
you know, adopting more of a plant-based diet. So one of one of the things that students could do from a, not necessarily from a USC standpoint, but from a planetary standpoint, one of the the most impactful things that any individual could do is to eat more of a plant-based diet. Um, that that'll have more impact than anything. But but probably the second thing, and I, I don't know all the math on this, but I would say probably the second thing is to use alternative modes of transportation. Um, rather than driving a, you know, a, a gas burning car um, or, you know, reducing the number of air, uh, air flights that you have. Those things have huge impacts. Um, and so, but there's, there's a whole list of lots of different categories of things there. And so I would encourage going to that website and taking a look there because it'll, it'll start you on a journey and then you'll, you know, contact one club and to find out, oh, there's this other club that is really, really even more in tune with what it is that I want to do. So it's a, it's a journey and you don't have to do everything at once. You know, we, we're kind of in a hurry from a planetary standpoint, but, you know, change is about making incremental changes and that becomes a habit and it opens up your eyes to new opportunities. And so then you can take that next step. So I would just encourage people to not get overwhelmed, just, you know, pick something, do it, and then see where it leads. And, you know, and there's, there's just huge, huge opportunity to do things. And we just need to do things at, at a pace that uh, makes us, uh, you know, something doable for us. Yeah. And once you finish doing those things, you can come back on Eco Alarm and talk all about it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. This conversation was great. I really enjoyed it. Lots of helpful tips. So yeah, we can wrap up here. Okay, great. All right. Thank you so much. Sound the alarm. I'm Savannah. And I'm Sarah. And we're, we're your Eco Alarm board, board members. Today we have breaking news. We'll be introducing a new segment on current environmental events explained. Today's topic we'll be covering is the massive flooding disaster that has happened in Pakistan. The flooding in Pakistan began on the Indus River and it has been occurring since June 2022, taking up one third of the country. It has brought waterborne diseases with a significant impact on children, including fevers, skin diseases, diarrhea, malaria, dengue fever, and cholera. In addition to all of these impacts, it has also destroyed crops and livestock, resulting in a food shortage. Approximately 1,100 people have died so far, and at least 3.4 million girls and boys need life-saving support. So I'd like to discuss why this happened um, related to environmental issues, because, of course, that's what our podcast is about. And so the main reasons that this happened was heavy monsoon rains, and some parts of Pakistan received up to five times greater than normal amounts of monsoon rains. And additionally, their glaciers melting in Pakistan uh, contributes a lot to the river flows. And this year they saw three times more than normal glacial melting. So that has definitely worsened the floods. And finally, they have a lack of infrastructure um, that's able to help control these floods and mitigate the effects. And so human cause um, climate issues and uh, infrastructure were also a big major cause of the effects being so devastating. So this is definitely an environmental justice issue, and I'd like to talk about that as well. Um, Pakistan is listed as the eighth most vulnerable nation to climate change effects, and they've only produced about 1% of emissions globally. So their contribution to climate change has been pretty minimal, but the impacts that they're facing are disproportionate by having Millions of their people displaced, food shortages, disease, 
um, all things that Sarah mentioned. And so they're really in need of aid right now. And this is just another example of why the climate crisis is an environmental justice issue and why we all have to make our, our impact and do our part. This issue is definitely much reflected in the washed away homes, roads, crops and livestock and damages totaling more than $30 billion. Children are also missing school. And so we wanna talk about on this podcast, especially focusing on progress within environmentalism, how you can help and how the rest of the world has already been helping. And so the United Nations has already aimed to gather $160 million for aid in Pakistan while the World Health Organization has released $10 million in aid already, China has released $14.5 million, and the UK has even released $1.75 million. So we also compiled some places that you can donate if you're in a place to do that and if you're considering it. Um, we have UNICEF, um, International Medical Corps, al Khidmat Foundation Pakistan, Mercury Corps, Save the Children, and many other different ones. Um, we just encourage you to do your research online and make sure that you know where your money's going and kind of vet a charity before you decide to donate. But these are some that are very reliable and are already um, giving aid in Pakistan. So we would encourage you to donate to those if you are willing and have the extra funds and extra um, time to do that. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Let us know how you like this segment and what topic we should cover next. We hope this gave you a good start on today's topic. And we encourage you to dive deeper on topics we cover and consider how you can take action to relieve the effects of climate change on the global community. Okay, that'll wrap up our episode for today. For more information on EcoAlarm and resources on topics covered in this episode, follow us at EcoAlarm Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Thank you guys so much for listening. Tune in every other Friday and we'll see you next time. Bye.